Welcome to Ernie Ball's Striking Accord podcast. Today on the show, we have Seether, or at least two of the members. We have vocalist and guitarist Sean Morgan and bassist Dale Stewart. So we talk about how they got their initial break on South African radio. Then we talk about the next big move, which was getting signed to a U.S. label and moving the band from South Africa to the United States. Then we talk about their brand new album, which is set to release in one week. That would be August 28th, 2020. So we talk about the album and also the realities of releasing an album during a pandemic. It's obviously a tricky time for musicians. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Sean Morgan and Dale Stewart of Seether. Sean and Dale, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. Well, let's start here. How did you two meet? Wow, that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, the, the memory the memory is dim. Uh, we met we met through. I was dating a girl. I, I was at I was at Technicon, which is basically an arts and arts and like design college. And I was dating this girl, and her brother and Dale were in a band together. So uh, I went and watched Dale's band a few times, and was instantly impressed with with his ever present row of, of, of ice cold beers to take place you know, if he ever ran out he'd, there'd be one close by and he would not be he would not be hurting for a for a drink so wow um, yeah, we, we, we kind of we, we hung out a couple times and and then I played him some some stuff from the band that I was in at the time and he was unduly impressed I, I think it was it was if I listened if I think about it, it was I thought the music was terrible but he was enthusiastic about it and Basically, we, we sort of, we sort of, we, I don't know if we were friends really at that point. I mean, we, we, you know, we'd see each other and hang out. It wasn't like we were, we were buds or anything because it was just that we were always around each other because of the, 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 the sibling connection. So um, we, we cut forward to probably five or six months later and, and our, our bassist at the time decided to, to quit. Uh, we had some sort of meltdown or whatever. And we, and I say whatever, I'm not trying to make light of it. I think he sure. was pretending to have a meltdown. Um, and, and then we, yeah, so then we, we had a gig coming up, the drummer and I, and we, and we, and we were desperately in search of a, a bassist and I knew Dale could play bass. So I was like, well, we, I know this one guy. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we, we, we called him up and we, we, we met up with him. We met him at a, at a, a little pub and we, we took with us a cassette tape of 17 tracks or whatever. I think it was 17. And we gave it to him and said to him, Hey man, can you learn these by Friday? <laughs> so, cause we have this show to go play to, you know, three people. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he did. He learned. He he learned seventeen songs, and we and we did. We played to the drummer's wife, her sister, and I think the bartender. <laughs> but <laughs> we, had, we, had a, we had a blast. So um, that's that's basically how we met and how how we we came together. And, and that was, I think, the official joining of or the official of, of Dale, the start of Dale and I playing together was probably I'd say January of two thousand. So, you know, good tw- yeah. 20 and a half years ago now. Wow. All right. Yeah, well, the, you, you kind of touched on my next question. I'm wondering, what does early Seether look like? I know you actually weren't called Seether yet, but, but right after the band forms and in this area you're talking about, are you guys building a following quickly? Or are you like playing in a, uh, uh, someone's garage, playing gigs around? We played anything we could get our hands on, man. <laughs> yeah. We, we, were just, uh, we were just excited to be doing it and, and playing and we're just having fun and man, if it was a house party, we'd play it. If it was a, you know, crappy club, like Sean said, you know, play for the bartenders and, and your girlfriends and shit, <laughs> you know, we, we do those. And, uh, but it was, it was fun, man. Those were fun days because, um, I think there's something so special about, you know, imagining one day, man, one day it's going to be like this and it's gonna be like that. And we're going to have a record deal and, you know, thinking about the future and, you know, hoping for the best and, you know, you don't have any money and you're scrounging for beers and stuff, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really fun time. You know, I think, uh, I think once you, you do get signed and you do, you know, have the record deals and everything, then it, it almost becomes, it's kind of like a job then, you know, it's like, okay, well now, you know, the, I don't want to say it like the fun's over, but it, it, it becomes a little more serious. It's oh yeah, like, the hard work. Oh, we've made it. We've, yeah, we've made it. Now we can coast. It's like, no, well now, not really starts. Now you got to put the work in and hit the road and all that, you know? We used to tour in the drum 
Mama's pickup truck. Uh, which had a canopy on the back, like a shell, a hard shell, which my brother who was doing our sound at the time didn't know what he was doing. And, and often, so often Dale and, and, and my brother would share the back of the shell. We'd be up front driving, but taking turns, the other two of us, and we'd have a trailer on the back and we would be carrying our own PA system. And when we would get to, to venues, they'd make you wait until after the dinner rush. So you'd get there at about five and you sleep in a, you're sleeping in a hostel. Oftentimes hostels were exactly if you can picture that 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 we actually stayed in one that looked like they had that, that's those steel toilets from train spotting, but maybe a little bit less <laughs> <laughs> We'll link to that in show notes. We, we were sort of we were sort of in these sort of these holes in the wall basically. There were these these bunk bed things. And that was and then the venue was just up the hill from there. So we got there, they said, No, we can't load in. You can come back at seven or eight o'clock and load in when the dinner rush is over and the show starts at ten. So we go down to the to this this horrific uh, uh, sh- shelter. I would even call it at this point, and we wait. We go back upstairs. Dinner's dinner's kind of over now. We have to carry in the PA ourselves, and at this point, this PA is being held together with tape and bubble gum. It's 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 a complete disaster. <laughs> and we get we get in there. We set up, and now we want a sound check. And of course, now they don't want us to make any noise until the show. So it's, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of just this kind of scraping to get by you know we we would do a tour for i don't know three or four weeks but it would mostly be weekends and then we would make just enough money to come home and give the drummer money for for his electric bill because he actually had a wife and kids and the two of us were just you know young we were just Ah. he was 37 at the time going on 38 and dale and i were were 20 and 21 so it was you know we, we had a completely different outlook on life Right, right, right. And as and as, as as fun as it was to, to do all that loading and stuff, I really don't miss it, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, absolutely yeah. not. Hey, what town are you in? What, what where does it start? Um, we started in in basically it's called uh, I'll say it in, in, it's, uh, it's Royais Kral, which is basically it's this little suburb between Pretoria and Johannesburg. It it basically means Red House Corral. Um and we 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 started playing in the drummer's garage. And I started with before Dale, obviously, and it was me and it was there was another guitarist and there was a, a girl playing keyboards and singing and it was basically a five piece band. And we, ba- and we, we had a rehearsal one time where, where two of the members were gone being the singer and the guitarist. And I said, Hey, well, I've got some songs if you guys want to do something. So we started playing things like 69, yeah, 69 T I think was one of the earlier ones that I had. And we really sort of found that that was the way we wanted to go as a band. Anyway, we didn't want to be uh, this five piece with this sort of the woman had she I don't know she kind of had, she sang she kind of sang like the old lady in church kind of voice real nasally and whiny but she desperately wanted to be in a rock band so uh, we 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 went on as a three piece and and then basically we just played competitions um, yeah we, there were band competitions that we played yeah, and we lost the bands yeah we and we lost to 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 like people that you you'll never hear of and and don't even have bands anymore because uh, even then on that on that level it's political and, and and it's kind of interesting but the the scene was great because once basically how we got the name for ourselves is, is we by playing this battle of the bands every weekend there was one dj on an, at nighttime in south africa it was very very instrumental in exposing us to new music and and i remember he used to he used to come on from seven till ten at night or seven till eleven maybe and when i was a teenager that's all i would listen to while i was studying and that's how i found out about sepultura pantera you know anything new that came out was was played on this on this particular three or four hour block of the radio station the rest of it was was all pop because it's 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 the one national station that, that was at the time was the big thing so we gave him a demo of 17 probably the same 17 tracks we gave dale to learn to be honest and yeah, we, right. we had and we'd been recording them at a guy's there was a guy we knew who basically was a jingle writer and he had his own little studio set up with a vocal booth and he had instruments and then what we would do is, is we would record and this is pre and post dale's joining but we would record this the, the, the songs in the band room on, a, on with one microphone onto a cassette tape and then we would take the tape to him and then get on a Monday, let's say. And then he would take Monday through Friday just programming the drums for us with a, with a horrendous drum sound, but it was so, it was professional, so we thought it was awesome. <laughs> then, then on a Friday night, we'd go in and we would record the songs. It was normally a, a song or two per week. And then we would record them and all he wanted in payment was, was uh, McDonald's. Of course, that, that changed once we got signed. But, but, and that was kind of, so it was this cool little thing we did and, and it was just us chipping away. So we, we built up the 16, 17 song uh, uh, sort of back catalog, if you will. And we gave it to Barney Simon and he was the, the guy that was like the godfather of rock music. He still, I think to this day, he still wears Misfits t-shirts and things and he's probably in his late 60s now. But 
Yeah. He started playing. So we didn't hear anything for a week. And then suddenly, you know, a week after we give him the demo, he's like, man, you guys got to hear this new band, Saren Gas. And he, and he starts playing one of the songs. I go, oh, this is so cool. He's playing one of our songs. And then the next night he does it again, but he plays another one. And then the next night he plays another one. And then the next night he plays another one. So he starts this sort of like this underground rumble for us. And, and it doesn't really translate at that point to, to more people coming to the shows, but it does get the attention of the actual PDs and the radio programmers of the daytime shows because they were still kind of playing rock music. But it was, you know, I mean, it, it was at a time when I guess... Nirvana would have been heard on, on, on the radio station during the daytime. So it wasn't, maybe it's not, it's not as pop as it is now. I'm kind of getting confused there. But so then the, the PD goes, you know what? Let's playlist the song, 69T. And, I, and we were an unsigned band and it was basically a demo that we had done in the jingle writer's office. <laughs> so here we go. And we get the song on the radio. There's a huge premiere. I'm on the radio talking about it. We're an unsigned band. And I, I don't think it's happened since in the country, but man, within a week, the shows exploded and we would, we, you know, we, we were, we would put on the early slots on these festivals and we would get out there and there's maybe a hundred, 200 people and we start playing and the room floods with 5,000 people to capacity. And suddenly it just like, we just, it just exploded. I don't, we just exploded. And then we could do tours and we could actually kind of, I mean, it got so big that I was studying, I was, I was, I was learning to be a, a, a jeweler. I was studying to, for a bachelor of technology. Uh -huh. And yeah, I mean, the next thing is we've got the song on the radio. It starts charting in daytime. And then, of course, we start getting some interest in, in, in record companies. Not, not many, to be honest. But even then, yeah. it was only a small little independent that picked us up. But it was, that was kind of how we built it up. And it was, it, a lot of it was just basically because people believed in us that had the, the power to expose us to other people without any money, with no advertising dollars. I mean, if you kind of think about it, it it's, it's a pretty, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bizarre story, but that's, that's how we ended up getting on the radio and that's how we ended up getting a deal. And then that's how we ended up getting signed to yeah. wind up you know, through that, that whole long winding process. That's crazy. That's a, that's a great success story. I like that. What, <laughs> I'm curious, what is the, the South African music landscape like? I mean, is it, are there a lot of South African bands that are popular mixed in with American bands, British bands, kind of like the same mix we'd have here in the States? I think in our in our time there was a lot of there was a lot of South African rock on the radio and a lot of interest because that that there was that explosion kind of of Nirvana and and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam in South Africa and and so there were a lot of bands I mean even called Lithium and there was a band called Squeal that was great there was Amersham there was um, Springbok Nude Girls it was all these great bands that just suddenly blew up and they were all local bands and and they they drove the creation of of the rock festival market because there really hadn't been much like that before then so then you get started getting things like what well, we had we had our own woodstock we had splashy fen we had um all of these festivals springing up and so then we started being invited to play all of those and there was i mean you would hear those bands on the radio and that we, we were just as big fans of those bands as we were of any other band american or otherwise but we we could at least see them on tour we never got to yeah. see any of the, of the international bands so they became almost even more important to us I mean, the, as the rock, the, the the interest in rock and the market for rock, especially in a country like South Africa, which demographically, it's it's a very very small percentage of 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 consumers. So mm. it, the record companies don't really care about making dimes when they can make dollars on on something else. So, uh, okay. um, but, but there were there were a lot of great bands, man. And I, I again, I'm like Dale, I'm out of touch, but I have sort of tried to figure out ways to find out more, but. Even the old websites we used to go to that I used to sit on the chat rooms at night and, you know, troll back in 1998, 1999, <laughs> uh, that's gone. And it's, and it's just, it's defunct. So it's, it's kind of sad to see that it's, it's corroded. But I think, I think also bands have sort of turned away from that and said, well, you know, if we don't get signed, we're just going to try and do it through Spotify or we're going to try and do it through, you know, um, SoundCloud or whatever, or, or even Facebook, you know. So you grab the attention of US label Wind Up Records. Do they, do they call you out of the blue? How does this come about? Yeah, they called uh, our manager, Ingrid, at the time, as far as I know. And I think it was a Steve Lerner who used to be at Windup. He said, hey, uh, we got this demo. And, and we were like, demo? We spent all this time and money and effort making this album <laughs> you know, with, with one of the top producers in the How country. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, like, calling it a demo. So, but anyway, like, oh, we got this demo and it's really cool. And, you know, we'd love to meet you guys. Can you fly tomorrow? Whoa. And um, 
we were like, well, you know, being on a South African passport is like the worst in terms of traveling. So we said, you know, give us a week, we'll get visas. And once we have the visas, we'll come over. So they gave us a week. They bought us tickets and everything. And uh, we flew to New York City. And uh, there was the dude with the sign saying sarin gas on it. And he's like, oh, right this way. And we got in a limo. And they were driving us through Manhattan to like, you know, uh, I forget what hotel we're staying at, but like it was like it was like the, nice. it was like the Hyatt on Fifth or something. They they threw their they yeah. threw their their wealth and their power at us to impress us. That's <laughs> it didn't awesome. Like much yeah. to impress us, you know. Yeah. I think a six pack of beer would have impressed us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, how about so once you find out that you got that call and they want to fly you out, is that are you guys over the moon or do you go out and celebrate that night? I think I think we I think we did exactly that. We we had our favorite little little rock club called the Doors. And we, I think we went out and we went and told the entire world that we, we, were, get, we were getting flown uh, for this, this showcase. But man, we, we spent that week getting the visas. We were terrified we wouldn't get them. So there was, there was this whole feeling of this is our only shot. This is, this is our chance to yeah. really get a deal. Because we'd, we'd had guys in South Africa literally spin in, in their, in their you know, executive armchairs. And just tell us, yeah, you know, it's not what I'm looking for. Sorry. And just sort of skip through the songs as fast as he could. Um, we had other guys who sent us letters that saying, you know, it's not what we're looking for right now, but good luck to you in the future. And, you know, you're talking about Sony and Geffen, the, the, certainly the branches in South Africa. The, the, we're talking major labels at the time. Yeah. And so we, we knew for a fact that this was the shot that we, we, we needed because it, it, it's not every day and it's not, it doesn't happen ever really that you get a phone call from a U.S. label and you're a band in South Africa who's been around for a couple of years, but you've, you've reached sort of some sort of ceiling in, in, in the country you're in, and, you, and you're kind of one of the top-level bands. But if you're a South African musician, even as a, as a professional, even as a number one selling artist, for the most part, a lot of those guys still had day jobs. And, and they, would, they, would, you know, they would work in a record store or a music store from Monday to Thursday. Then they would take Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and go play some shows, and then they would be back. There's no tour uh, buses. There's there's no yeah. crew. There's you know we 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 had a one crew guy one time who almost killed us in a van. But yeah, we, we 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 basically it was it was this excitement, but it was also this 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 dread, this fear, because yeah. we knew this was our shot. So we went we 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 basically went full anal mode and said, okay, how how best can we impress this label? They have the the fragile album that we put out, but we have these other demos in the, in the can, and which included Broken, for example. So we knew we had to impress them because if they liked what they heard there, we thought we had better material. So we rehearsed some stuff we were going to do. We did some acoustics because we wanted to show our, our flexibility and our range. <laughs> yeah. we, so we get to New York City for the showcase. And I, Dale and I don't own a tuner. We don't have a guitar tuner. So basically what we do is, is one of us tunes first and the other one tunes to him. And then I also didn't have money for strings and neither did Dale. Dale used to boil his bass strings once a week or once every two weeks <laughs> and throw them back on. So we, we don't have any strings, man. So we get to New York. I have my rusty old set of guitar strings. We start doing a little mini sound check and I break a string. So now I am, I'm broke. I'm in New York City where I have no idea where to find strings. Well, I, I, just, I'm, I, don't, I don't know where to find anything. And I have 30 minutes before Wind Up Records shows up for us to do a showcase. So then we scramble, we find the strings, we come back, throw them on. I think I even just threw on that string, or I, I might have even bought a single string because we just we had, <laughs> we had zero money, and yeah. we played the showcase. And and you know, and and that fear that from from the from getting the phone call only heightened as the showcase became closer. As we got on that stage and they marched in, and it's in this what it looks kind of like a dance or a ballet studio looking thing because it's mirrors all, all around you on all the walls, a little stage. And then they all came in and sat down in chairs while yeah. we were up there trying to impress, you know, except, yeah. for, except for Diana Meltzer, who was in the front row and, and she was just rocking out. And, and, and afterwards, everyone sort of cleared out and we sat down with the president and he said immediately, he said, you know, I'd like to sign you guys. And dude, the, the relief was that we weren't going to get turned down. And and that and that that you know that endorphin release when the fear dissipated and, and the excitement took over, um, that was killer. It was it was awesome. It's 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 a moment you know in, in now twenty years down the line, it's a moment I still remember quite vividly. And it was it was killer. And then we then we came home and we 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 we, we had a contract, man. We waited for a contract, and, and and I still was always afraid. I was always afraid because you know you spend your whole life being told music is a waste of time. There's thousands of other bands out there that are going to do it. There's millions of other guys better than you. And 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 for most for the most part, that's true. 
and opportunities don't come to some of the best musicians and the best players and the best bands. And, and that's, that's sad, but luckily we had the path was laid out for us somehow. And we managed to, to, to just sort of, you know, hack our way through this. Um, and good for you guys to, to have the clarity to know that you need to seize this opportunity. You did it. Yeah. Cause I just had a baby. So, uh, my, oh, wow. my, my wife at the time, she was, well, she actually was, she was with my girlfriend, but we had just had a baby. So I was, I was going to actually have to quit playing music. So I, so I, I was going to have to get a, a job. So in many ways, this flying us out in the June or July of, of, of 2000, of, of, of it was a, no, of, of sorry. It was of, 2001. 2001. Right before nine, yeah. Right, right before nine 11. Right before nine 11. So we, that's why I was, I was saying it's funny because you said they were holding up the sarin gas sign. I was like, well, that must have been before 9-11 because it, was, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't happen afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And just, but, just to yeah. clarify for listeners, that was your previous name before yes. Seether. Yeah. yeah. We, 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 again, that name was kind of a dumb name we picked from a hat. We, we didn't have a band name and it had been weeks of recording with this guy, John, in his, in his uh, jingle studio. And he said, look, you guys need, you need something. You need a name. So he had a vault full of sound effect CDs and they all had kind of interesting titles. So we just picked a bunch of them, threw them in a hat and drew out Sarah and Gas, And that's how it became okay. uh, the band name. Uh, well, yeah, that's a crazy story. I mean, getting signed for any aspiring band is, is huge, but it's even crazier when it entails moving to an entirely different continent. So <laughs> yeah, were you guys conflicted there on the move or was it a no brainer? We're doing it. Uh, I, I wasn't. Um, I mean, you know, Sean just, you know, had the, the baby and everything, but um, I was kind of a young, oh, I wasn't fully single, but uh, I was a young guy and I was ready to do whatever, it, whatever it takes, you know, just, um, you know, being given an opportunity like that, something we've been working for so long, it was, it was, it was definitely a no brainer. You know, I was ready to get yeah. on that plane and, and, yeah. you know, go, go over, overseas and, you know, see what it's all about. Yeah. That's amazing. So did you guys uh, all live together when you moved there, moved here to the U S yeah, they, yeah, we, we did. Uh, the wind up was like, um, you know, Hey, you know, move over in January and we'll start, you know, we'll record the album and everything and don't worry, we'll find you a place to stay. We get to New York city, uh, with basically a little piece of paper with an address on it. And yeah, no, no more limos. The, 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 the limo had no more limo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've already got us now. <laughs> so we go to this apartment. It's, it's an Oakwood apartment, but it's like, it's like right off, off uh, Times Square. It's like 42nd and 6th or something weird. Wow. 60th and, floor. Yeah. We're way up there. We're like, wow, this is kind of a cool place. And I mean, it wasn't huge. And then after, after like a couple of days, we're like, I wonder what this place costs, you know, because I mean, we are paying for it. So, so uh, we asked the label, we're like, hey, this, what's the rent on that place? And they're like, oh, it's like 7,500 a month. <laughs> or, or, yeah, something like that. We're like, well, we can't stay here. I mean, we got to move. So, yeah. And while, while we were kind of in the process of trying to figure out how to get out of this place before the month, you know, the next month rolled in, we were basically got a phone call like, hey, your plane leaves in like a couple of hours for LA. There's a change of plans. We're now recording in LA with Jay Baumgartner. So, yeah, you know, so, get, so, get to the so airport. Move, basically. Yeah. So, so, so move to the Oakwood in yeah. California. <laughs> and is that where you settled from that point on? We did for a while. Yeah. 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 We, we kind of, we, we, we had nowhere else to go. So Dale and I, um, we also, at the time, right before the move to LA, our drummer, uh, who was, who was, who was coming up on 40 years old, he was really homesick and he, he, you ask about how we, how we settled. You know, he was he was a kind of guy. He's, he's a he's a he's a decent, down to earth guy. But he's the kind of guy who, you know, you, if you go to a fancy sushi joint, he asks if they've got fried chicken and and, and fries. You know what I mean? He's 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 a, he's a sort yeah. of down home, simpler guy. He thinks fried bologna on bread is 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 a treat, and and so do mm. I. But I I also think <laughs> yeah. there's other things that are more of a treat. But <laughs> it's not he, just that, yeah. Yeah. So he 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 was gone. We get the phone call. We moving to LA. Pack your bags. You're out. We fire our managers. We, no, we didn't. That story we'll get to. That's a great one too. So basically, what had happened is they they put us up in, the, in this Oakwood in, in New York City. They said they were going to pay us a salary. When all was said and done, and the, the Oakwood was paid, we only had about two hundred bucks to share between four of us in the apartment. So because our manager lived with us as well, so we had nothing. Try and survive on two hundred bucks a month in, in in New York City, even in two thousand yeah. and two, yeah. as, a, as a as a as a band. It's not going to happen. So we moved to LA and, and basically the manager stayed behind in, 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 in Brooklyn because she knew somebody 
probably was was engaged in, in, in carnal activity with her, which is fine. It's, it's her life. And it's great. So we were in L.A. <laughs> now we don't have a car. And if we don't have any friends, we're both of us. And at this point, now it's just Dale and I in this Oakwood apartment. And we had no friends, but we basically start recording pretty much immediately. But we tried to bring another South African drummer over because we, we thought it was important to have another South African just so we could keep it sort of, you know, an element of purity about it. We flew a guy out, he, he, he didn't work out, which was a real bummer because he's a real nice guy. And then we ended up having Josh Freeze play on the, on the album. So that was okay. incredible. So now we, we've got a world-class drummer on this album. So we know it's, it's the big time. We finished the album, we finished recording, and now we got to find members to play. Uh, you know, we have to find drummers, obviously, because we don't have one. So we auditioned and then we found uh, Nick Oshiro and then we ended up moving to a different spot in, 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 in not Hollywood, but sort of Los Angeles proper to be sort of more in the, in the, in the heart of things. And we all lived together there as well. And it was, it was kind of, you know, and then I, then I flew out my, my wife who we, we, we got married sort of in between there as well. Then I flew her out and she lived with us as well for a while. So, and the baby. So there was a lot going on and it was, it was all kind of, you know, if I, if I look back at that, it, it was actually a really terrible time. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was just scrounging for money, trying <laughs> to get by, you know, waiting for tours, trying to get a drummer. Then the, the, we, get, we get a drummer and, the, and he flakes. And we get another drummer, he flakes. And then we finally get a, a drummer. And then we, then we had to audition guitarists because Windup was very convinced we could not be a three-piece anymore. We had to be a four-piece band. So we then have to find some other guy to play in the band. And then, then a couple guys flaked on us again. So it wasn't, it, it felt like everything had been such a good journey up until moving to LA that it felt at that point, I almost felt like we, it was, it was, you know, the, the, the too good to be true part was very quickly fading to the, man, this is, this is not what I thought it would look like, you know? And, yeah. and the, the thing is, the thing that people don't understand, maybe they do, but the, the, you don't think about it, is when you first move, you say goodbye to all of your family and friends that you hang out with on a, on a regular basis. You say goodbye to everything you know. You say, like, the, the money you use, the, the electrical sockets you use, the, the, you know, the, the side of the road you drive on, just little things that you, that you grow up with. They all, everything gets flipped on, yeah. its, on, its, on its back. So now you've got, to, you've got to adapt. And luckily, Dale and I, I think, we, having, at the time, we were 22 and 23, so we could do it. We, we, we were good. But the older right. guy, the, the drummer that left, I, I think all of that was just too much for him. And he's, he's a real, you know, he's kind of a homebody guy, and, and his kids were very, very, very important to him. And yeah. for me, leaving was the opportunity I needed to create a life for my family. Um, right. So yeah, that, that was that was a, but it was it was it was all so fu- it was so much fun and games right until we actually got to, got into the studio that it felt like oh man what have we got ourselves into because we were working in a, but the studio was awesome and it, and, and it was this beautiful you got runners getting you stuff every beck and call is is taken care of but it it something about it just rang hollow in in the sense that the producer was never in the studio he was always away he kind of showed up whenever he wanted to and then we would walk in on a Friday and we'd been tracking music since the Monday. And he'd go, nope, do it again. And he'd just wander back out again. So it was like, it was a real beat down, man. And because yeah. we were such, such, we were so green at the time and we were so grateful for the opportunity and so thankful that this was a real thing. Right, right. We never once thought to stand up for ourselves. Yeah. We never once thought to say, no, 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 this is how I, we think it should be. Or, or, or can we at least have a discussion? We, we just said, yes, sir. And, and just sort of meekly did what we were told. Um, and it took many years for us. I mean, you know, I remember we had a, we, once the album comes out, the song's out and it's, so we, yeah, we, we get on Ozfest, but I remember having an argument with the head of Windup where he told us to, you know, to go back to Africa if we didn't use the demo version of Fine Again as the single, rather than the one we spent three or four weeks re-recording over and over again at NRG Studios. You know what I mean? So it, it was a lot of things yeah, that in the beginning, wow. it felt, it felt like, it felt, like when Dale was saying, once we got signed, the real slog started. That was, that was when it was like, okay, now we have to earn every single fan. We have to get yeah. out there and earn them, whether that's through touring or whether that's through radio play or whether that's through you know, doing the, the, the 7 a.m. acoustic sets at, at different radio stations. That was, that, that was when the, the hard graph really started. And, 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 and I think people don't understand that. You know? Yeah. Well, if I piece together your timeline, it seems like it's pretty impressive. I mean, you guys form in 99, signed to an indie label, get an album out the next year, within a year, and then, what, 2001, the following yeah. year, you're, you're already in the U.S. with a, <laughs> with a new label. That's a that's, that's pretty crazy time. And then, and then how long is it until your first single? Is it Fine Again? 
when when does that break? When was that released? That I was, forget. It was, it was that was in May, May of two thousand. May of two thousand two. We, we had we had spent the first first okay. few months of two thousand two just recording. We we were in the studio for about three months, and they 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 kind of rushed the single ahead of the before the album was I think even finished. That, that we, that's why there, oh. there was so much frustration about the single because they knew that was the first one they wanted to go out with. So. Uh, we recorded that first, basically, so that because they, they were, they, you know, everyone's pants were on fire apparently because it was like, man, there was no, there was no downtime. I mean, except for Sundays when Dale and I would sit and watch Comedy Central. We used to watch the Man Show, <laughs> and we would we would sit <laughs> we would sit and drink a case of beers together, and then you know Monday mornings start up start up again and go go to the studio. Well, once that single hit, did the mood turn? Did it feel once again like things were falling in the right direction? You were winning again? Well, we just, you know, I think, I think, and Dale will agree, at, at that point, once we finally got to the touring part, like, and really seeing what American touring was like, and, and doing, you know, 16, 17, 18, sometimes 19 or 20 shows in a row, back to back, and living in an RV in really close quarters with some guys you barely know uh, who are now playing in your band. Yeah, it, 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 just, it, it just became a party. It was, it was basically at that point, it was like, well, you know, we're here now. Let's, have, let's make the best of it. And I think <laughs> because also that's the part we enjoyed the most at the time because the experiences recording had never really been anything that was, that was something like, oh, I would love to do this again as fast as possible. Um, for us, the touring was the fun part because, you know, the drinking and, and the hanging out and, the, and, the, and, and just, just the basic sort of sense of immortality. Yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, there were there were nights, man. We, we would when we were in the RV, the tour manager would go to bed. We were all boozed up and high on cocaine, and we we got a, we got people in the RV. We cruising <laughs> through the streets with the windows down, and there's a dance party in the back. And the guy who's driving should probably be in prison. You know, I mean, that was me. But it was it was it was kind of I think because it was so much uh, of it was this realization of of a dream that I'd had since a very small kid, and I think for Dale too. Um, right. It 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 felt like, like I I was I was happy because I was in it with Dale, and I was happy because my brother came out, and he for a while was a tech guy. So it was it was really cool. It was it was like it was it was the beginning of a realization of a dream. And the idea was was live in the moment now and have as much fun as you can because there's no guarantee that this take you know gathers any steam there's there's no way that uh this is i mean for me i've always been a pessimist so i've always i've always been like a little bit hesitant so i always i always have to wait for a success to really be proven or or, or actually to be behind me before i actually sort of will say okay i'll acknowledge that it was one yeah so you're taking advantage while you had it oh man we did uh, it was yeah it was yeah i mean it's not like we're going to be doing this in 20 years from now <laughs> let's, let's rage while we can. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. So fast forward. Uh, rumor has it there's a new Seether album on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. You know it. Yeah. Uh, the the title is Seewis Pacem Parabellum, which is, is Latin for if you want peace, prepare for war. And it is coming out August 28th. So it's just around the corner, man. It's it's as of today, it's about four to five weeks away. Yeah, that's great. So I think this podcast will release about a week before that. Cool for context cool. here. Yeah. Uh, so I think usually <laughs> some touring follows the release of an album. How yes. has how has releasing an album changed in the age of COVID? It's uh, it's frustrating, man. Having this album in the can, and you know, we we think it turned out great, and you know, we we wish we could just get out there in front of people and you know play the new songs. And I kind of use the analogy like we're all dressed up with no place to go. You know, we right. sitting around like okay, well, now what? It's 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 frustrating, man. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's it does. It's 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 forced us to look at things very differently, and it's 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 brought, it's shining a, a very big spotlight on on a bunch of interesting things. The first be, the first thing, obviously, that we're looking at is we're looking at how can we still play music for fans, um, and how can we still earn a living. So we're looking towards streaming platforms and and how we can we can set up shows and kind of you know we we're setting up production here in Nashville, which we could use with with on video walls and lights and, and the whole deal. So kind of like it would be at a live show. So that's a, mm. that's a, it's a new thing to look at. Um, but this, the spotlight then becomes, you see bands that are doing like geolocating shows where it's kind of locked to a certain area or a certain grid. And then they'll do a show in that town, so to speak. So a virtual show in, let's say, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio. And then the next night you do a virtual show in Dayton, Ohio. But really? It's, oh, it's, so, but, it's, but, it, but, but it's, it's blocked out, huh? Yeah. So you wow. can't watch 
if you, if I'm in Nashville, I can't watch the Cincinnati show. So that's one, one approach that some guys have taken. Um, yeah. And then what we are looking at doing is we're going to do a show right around the time, uh, uh, you know, so within a week or two of this album dropping and just do, do an hour and a half long set and, and, and charge people, you know, I think 10 bucks to buy a ticket or whatever it is. Um, but, and, and we, we're going to open it up to the world and kind of make it so there's, there's, no, there's no limit. And some other guys have also limited the, the shows to say a thousand people. So there's, there's all these different approaches to it. And, and we, we just, none of us know what, what, how, to, how, to get, how to navigate these, these stormy waters. I think it's, it's, it's quite an interesting time. And then the other part is you kind of feel a, a bit like a scumbag. And I, just because I, you know, I, I think I have too much empathy sometimes, but you don't really want to take money from people in a time when they may, may be slightly short on money. But then by the same token, you also, you, you, we're not just half-assing the show. You know what I mean? We're not, and we will be doing concerts on a regular basis. Um, yeah. In fact, we, we, we have all the band guys are coming down to Nashville or up to Nashville from their various geographic locations. And we're going to do a whole bunch of content in a very short amount of time. And, and we're looking at stuff like maybe doing um, albums from front to back. You know what I mean? And then having that be a show. And then we can maybe looking at doing possibly a second one cold night types show where it's all acoustic um, and, that, and, it's, and it's a completely different set and a completely different vibe. So yeah, man, it's, we don't know. And other than that, I spend a lot of time trying to occupy my mind because I was mentally, my game was, I was getting prepared for this. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of mental stuff that preparation that goes in for me now that I'm I'm a father and and a, and a husband, which uh, yeah, that's another thing. My my wedding has been postponed twice already because of this. So it's it's kind of it's been a lot of weirdness yeah. and, and, and a lot of sort of bizarre situations. But it's it, it it's very when when we were first told you can't leave your house, man. I, I'll, I'm, I'll make no bones about the fact that I drank myself into a stupor a lot of, a lot of nights. And I, I don't remember going yeah. to bed because I was just so depressed yeah. and I was so, I was thrown off because look, I was prepared during the writing phase that 2019 was, a, was a home year and that's a home year. And that's when you, you do all the, you do the, the domestic stuff, but you also do the, the, the creative stuff and then you record. And then somewhere in the you know, beginning to middle of, of, of 2020, we go out and we do what we do. And we, we, we do that for 18 months and we come back home and, and, and the cycle continues. What the spotlight has shone for me the brightest is most of my eggs are in one basket at this point, man. And most of my income, and if not in fact all of it at this point, is, is directly from this band and, and, and the, this music. So if you take away the largest driver of revenue for us, which is live shows and merch sales, that it really has an impact on, oh, wow, okay. So if this can, so, so, so how, how am I prepared? How, how, how what am I, what, what are my safety plans? You know, what am I, are my nets all in place that if this happens and this continues for another year, is everything going to be good? So there's a, there's a lot of things that, that, cause you take it for granted that the cycle is just going to repeat itself. And yeah. that for me has shown me that I haven't really, I've, I've done some things that are to diversify the portfolio, so to speak, but for the most part, I haven't been very clever in creating new business opportunities up until this pandemic started, right? So now, now I've got my, my, my irons in a bunch of different little fires and I'm, I'm stoking them to see which ones will, 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 will you know, grow into flames. But it's, it, it was, that was out of sheer necessity for my own, again, mental well-being because I stress about everything. And when you add something this big onto the top of it for me, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been crazy, but it's, it's actually made me look at my, my life and my world in, in a very, very, through a very different lens. And I think yeah. for the positive, I, I know, I know where I've, where I, where I could have made better decisions and, and where I want to direct my life in future. And I also understand that I don't want to be dependent on live shows and merch sales for, for my income. So these yeah. kinds of realizations have, have become pretty important. You know what I mean? Yeah, the whole situation is so tough, especially for gigging and touring musicians. But it's going to be interesting to see what kinds of innovations come out of this and are coming out of this. Yeah, and the influx of streamers. <laughs> and, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, I would, I've, I've thought about some of those. I, I don't know, Dale's, Dale, Dale's done some sort of like 
get, takes the, the, the fans on a little in, inside trip to one of his fishing trips on the lake, or, or sorry, on the, in the ocean, which when he's hanging out with sharks and things, which I think is insane. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've, I've thought about, do I jump on the, the, any of these trains and maybe, you know, maybe start a, a game streaming channel where I play video games? Or, or start a podcast and I don't know, you know, Dale's got his own plans and, and, and he's, he's got a, he's, he's had a, he's had a, a long-term goal for a very long time. So these are the kinds of things that I, I, I hadn't thought about. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of upset that it took me this long, but I, I did spend many, many years in a, in a drunken haze, I'll tell you. So you don't really pay too much attention to the world around you when you, when you, the way you see it is, is, you know, the, the status quo is never going to change and, and, and everything will just, you know, the money will roll right in kind of situation. So I've, I've had to rethink yeah. and relook at that, man. Hey, do you guys ever get nervous re- before releasing an album or, or sort of anxious about critical response or even fan response? I think so. I think it's human nature to, I don't want to say second guess because, you know, once we make an album, you know, I think, you know, generally we've been pretty, pretty pleased with it. I don't think we'd be uh, willing to put it out if we, if we didn't think it was as good as it could be. But uh, I think it's human nature, though, to, to be critical, you know, and especially be critical of yourself and say, wow, you know, hope it's good. Hope the fans don't, you know, don't, don't slate it. But there's always going to be some asshole who, you know, of course, who, who thinks, oh, no, you know, it's, it's not cool because there's not enough banjos or you know or whatever <laughs> whatever the case it is, is yeah it's like we're not that kind of band bro like try and be a little impartial you know there's always that one review that you're like oh man you know so you, you got to try not let that get to you but yeah does it get to you i try not to read them uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I think the stuff that really counts is um man we, when you play that song the first time you play that that song or, or you know parts of that album live and you watch, you know, the reaction in the in the crowd and the people. Yeah, that's got to help put things in perspective. Critics be damned. Yeah, no, that's what it's about, though, because it's it's not for you know the the, the hipsters and the <laughs> the people that don't like your style of music, but they work for the publication, so they have to write a story. And if if they say they like it, that they they're not going to be considered cool. You know that they'll have their mustache wax revoked or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there's a lot of anxiety before it. And I, I think that it, there's a lot of that the album comes out and, and it's a flop. And, and we've, we've been very, very lucky in a sense. And I think we've, we've, we've been, I'm grateful that with every album that we put out, we, we build the fan base and we, we haven't to, to, in my mind, there hasn't been one that sort of flopped and stalled the, the career and, and, and the, you know, the rising arc has taken a dip in the sense of, you know, where, where you really have to come out and work twice as hard with the next album, maybe bring in, maybe resort to, to writing with a, with, a, with a well-known songwriter so you can get some hits. Right, and you right. can go out there and you can rejuvenate your, your, your career. And that I've seen with a, with a, with a, with a, a bunch of bands that have, that have they, they were riding high, then they crashed down, then they resort to, to outside writers and then they sort of, they rebuild the, the career and they sort of get back on some sort of track. I know, having seen some people go through that, that it's a very difficult and very dark hole to climb out of because for the most part, people can be quite uh, unforgiving if, if they don't like something. And, but the, 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 the other cool thing, though, is I know that this stuff holds, can hold up to anything we've done in the past, if not way better than the stuff we've done in the past. And anybody who knows, yeah. anybody who likes what we do is going to love this album. And, and, and that's, I know that because I, I've written every single song that I've ever written for myself first and foremost. And if, if I'm not happy with it, it doesn't make it to an album. And if I am and I love it and it's in my head all the time, then it does. I'll write 40 to 50 ideas in songs, but there, there are, there are a couple clunkers in there. There's a, there's a whole bunch that don't fit on a, on a Cedar album. You know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. And that's maybe why I write so much so that I know that at the end of the day, I'll have a, a, a larger pile to pick from. And therefore I can push, I can raise the bar and, 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 and in my mind, put, you know, push the band just one step further than we were on the last album. So it, it is nerve wracking and it is terrifying, but I, I, I think that we have, we have a, we have a really special fan base, man. Our, our fans are, are ridiculously hardcore 
And you, yeah. you see that when you meet them, you, you, the stories they tell you, the, you know, our, our activism on the suicide front has really connected with a lot of people too. And we, we've been doing that for a decade about, you know, yeah. way, before, way before things became trendy and cool, um, yeah. we've been in, doing these, these activism things. And that's another thing that, that people really appreciate about us. So uh, there's always that that I, that I, I feel is almost the, the, the one reliable rock when an album comes out is we're going to have the, that, that core who's waiting for it and, 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 and really hungry for the, for the new music. Yeah, that's great. And you already have a couple singles out, right, from this album. Yeah, well, we have the official one, uh, Dangerous, which is, Dangerous. which is that radio. And we've released... Yeah. Um, we've released uh, Bruised, Bruised and Bloodied, and bloodied. As, a, as a kind of a grat track, and then we've we've released Big, which is which is which is a great because with with Dangerous you kind of have a real different sounding see the song that's that's uh, it's got the the sort of inherent seetherness about it, but it's got something that makes you it's a little bit different to what's out on the radio right now. And that's important when you put out a single because you can easily, you know, fall in line and put out a, a straight ahead banger. But, I, you know, you have to also, I think, I, you have to take chances sometimes with the melody and, 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 the, and, the, and the presentation of the song. And then you got yeah. Bruised and Bloodied, which is just a straight up rock song, you know, which is with kind of a, with kind of a, a happy pop melody to it with some, <laughs> some really not pop lyrics. And then you've got something like, like Big, which is really heavy and, and really dark and ominous and and i think with those three songs the only thing that hasn't been represented is then the softer maybe more sort of vulnerable and and and, and really sort of a, a pretty side of the band. yeah yeah it gives you a good overview of of, of what what to expect when, when this album comes yeah. out i have kind of a specific question on dangerous so dale you have that that uh really cool bass riff that starts yeah. it out was that riff the spark for the song or did you make it up after there's already a chord progression in place i wish i could take credit for that riff uh, that, that that's sean's bass riff. <laughs> yeah that, um, that's awesome yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great little it's so hooky and catchy it's uh yeah you know cr cramp, cramps the hand a little bit you know if you if you have to play it over and over in studio but uh, other than that i love it so Sean, is that is that riff what started the uh, songwriting process for that song? Yeah, I, I wrote it on guitar first, and oh. it was it was you know obviously in the same place on the fret, so it was much higher up. And I thought, well, you know what, I kind of want to hear this on bass, so I picked up the bass and I, and I re-recorded it with the bass. I was like, okay, well, that's that's what I want. This is where it's going to be. And I've actually I've actually been thinking about this a lot this week because we we currently uh, Corey and I are going to get together because he's close and we can throw out some 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 material for the label when they require it and they want us to do an acoustic version of Dangerous and at first I said no way man because it's it's just got a lot of moving parts and I don't I don't think it's going to work but then when I listened to it and I broke it down into all of its pieces the bass is basically what drives the song the whole way through the bass holds down the the, the verses. The bass holds down the choruses, and then only with the exception of the the beginning of the breakdown is it is it guitar centric. The rest of the song was basically guitars filling in and coloring in the things that the bass is doing, and and the, and the intention was to try and write parts for guitar that did not repeat parts that the other guitarists were doing. Let's say you know these, these imaginary guitarists and weren't as much as possible we're not following the bass and then in the bridge to bring everything together to kind of drive it home sonically you know what i mean so yeah this this i often sit and just noodle around on the bass because it's if you switch it up and yeah. you just move to a different instrument especially on a day when you feel uninspired or on a day when you just feel like eh, nothing's really coming out today i need to i need to to, to, to shake this up that's when I that's when I reach for a bass or, or, I'll, or i'll start programming some sort of drum beat or something to try and see if i get inspired yeah Hey, do you guys have a favorite song off the new album? I think mine, uh, it kind of changes. You know, the, the, the more you listen to stuff, it, there's a little bit of a revolving sure. door. But uh, uh, there's a song called Wasteland. Um, and I think at the moment, that's my, that's my, number, okay. my number one. I like, I, I'm, I'm pretty partial to failure right now. Um, I hadn't listened to any of this stuff in quite some time. And suddenly my you know my wife's in the garage and she's and she's working on some projects and the, and the next thing is she's playing that song I'm like, oh man i love this song so that that's my that's my, my my current favorite for sure yeah all right well before i let you guys go let's talk about guitar strings real quick what gauges are you guys playing i play 105s 105s on the bass and then uh in the studio sometimes okay. we'll sometimes we'll go up to the uh 45s and then sometimes we'll we'll get like a 110 just for the you know if, if we're doing some really low 
like you know B type stuff where we you t- tuning way down. Love the only ball strings, man. All right. <laughs> I've been. Uh, I I I used those before. Uh, they were so graciously, uh, you know, supplied oh, for us. So that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah he boiled. Awesome. He boiled many sets of them. Yeah, <laughs> I've boiled many only any ball strings in my day. <laughs> New bass string technology, right there. It's our next yeah. endeavor. <laughs> High tech. I tend to play either the twelves or thirteens. Thirteens mostly live. Because oh, wow. okay. because I've got ham hands and I, I'm more of a I consider myself more of a of a percussionary guitarist than a finesse guitarist. So and I also find um, when we do it like that live, it it stays in tune way better, and I can really dig in and play really hard right. without losing any tone as well. Because that's the other thing we 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 have a lot of drop C stuff. So those thicker strings definitely help to, to, to make that tone yeah. just killer, you know. And I've yeah. I also now play the Music Man guitars. So combine those two together, man. I'm I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in heaven, dude. It, I, it's it's such a killer sound. So yeah, I, I I've I'm a huge fan, and, and we, you know, we've had a long-standing relationship with you guys, and, and we can't thank you guys enough, man. Well, you know what? The, one of the coolest things in, in my life was 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 seeing our band name on the back of the packaging. That was like that was like one of those little moments where you go, oh man, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and you're playing this uh, for good measure. You're playing the Stingray guitar, right? Yes, yeah, I love that thing, man. I've, I've yeah. got a, I've got, I've got a bunch in my in my vault, and, and they were getting. Man, I was so ready to get get this, get out on the road and, and, and bang away on those things, man. But you know, as soon as as soon as they give us the, the go ahead and they, and they give us an, an all clear, we're, we're we're the kind of band that's going to be out there immediately. So so you know, I, I hope people understand that about us and, and know that when 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 the time. When the time comes, we will be there, and we will we will definitely be out on the road, and 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 you know, playing these beautiful strings on these beautiful instruments. Yeah, hell yeah! All right, well, Sean and Dale, thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast, and can't wait to hear the new album. Thank thanks, you, man. I, I appreciate you having us. Uh, this is my first podcast I've ever done. So, actually, no, it's my second. All right, but, but this is the first one where it was about music, and, and I, I really appreciate you having us. Thanks for listening to Ernie Ball's Striking a Chord podcast. Be on the lookout for that new Seether album. I didn't take Latin, but I think it's pronounced. Seawis Pacum Parabellum. If you'd like to contact us, please email strikingaccord at ernieball.com. Sean? Yes. Hello. Hello. How's it going? How's it? I was just eavesdropping on that uh, that conversation like like some creeper. Nice. <laughs>